There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if we could become something more. So when they needed us, we could fight the battles that they never could. This is the road <laughs> to infinity. When Captain America throws his mighty shield, all those who chose to oppose his shield must yield. If he's led to a fight and a duel is due, then the red and the white and the blue will come through when Captain America Welcome to the Road to Infinity. Today we're talking about Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Uh, joining me on the show today, I have Lori. Hello. And I also have uh, returning from her much lauded appearance in the Captain America, the First Avenger podcast, we have my wife, Denise. Hi. Nobody lauded anything. <laughs> Except me. You, I said I did a good job. <laughs> so many lots. All right, so we're here to talk about Captain America, the Winter Soldier, and uh, I believe Lori might be in the running for greatest fan of Captain America, the Winter Soldier, which is one of the reasons I wanted to have her on. So we are now in April of 2014. April, interesting time for a big Marvel movie to be coming out, but this is when uh, the sort of spring movie season started expanding. <laughs> so I don't know if that was considered a early spring or a very early summer release, but Anyway, it came out in April, and it was a, a very, very, very big hit. So uh, we talked in the Captain America First Avenger about the Captain America comics and uh, the big impact that Ed Brubaker had, and I said that I would talk about it now, and so I'm going to talk about it now because his contribution to the Captain America comics is this almost almost this entire movie. Uh, the Winter Soldier was his creation. Uh, well, with a little nod to, to the original to Stan and original creators as well. So we talked a little bit about the history of Bucky, so I'm not going to do the history of Bucky, but Bucky was originally Captain America's Robin. He was a young teenager that came on with Captain America, you know, two-fisted, fighting Nazis, um, but he was definitely a, a kid. Then when Ed Brubaker took over writing Captain America, he had this wild idea. Now, one of the, the tenets of writing for Marvel Comics, there are two rules that you do not break. There's probably essentially more than two but the two people you do not bring back are you do not resurrect uncle ben and you do not resurrect bucky they are dead 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 well ed brubaker had this idea so he retconned a little bit of of the history of bucky so he made bucky much more of a partner to captain america not so much of a gee whiz let's get him cap he aged him up a little bit so he said that he was an enlisted soldier so he had him probably i think I'm trying to remember, he had him come in that he was probably 15 or 16 at the time that he came in. So he sort of squeaked it under the wire to join. But he was definitely a teenager leading into, you know, by the time that he, he had been in the service a couple of years, he probably was, you know, 18 or so. So he was, uh, to that time period, a man, you know, a, a, not what we would consider a, a preteen or a teen. He'd seen some stuff. So he was much more of the part of So they did some of that stories. Now, in the original story, Bucky... Uh, was fighting against Baron Zemo, who will 
eventually will show up in the Marvel Universe in a very, very different fashion. But Zemo was very much of a typical Nazi. He wore a pink hood on his and, and a crown. He was very much a mwahaha villain. Uh, he was had a bomb that was going to launch and destroy New York. Bucky grabbed onto the bomb to defuse it and went up there, and he did defuse the bomb, but his arm got caught in the bomb, and then it launched and with him on it, and it exploded in the air, and Captain America couldn't save him. So this is one of the big defining moments in Captain America's life is that he couldn't save his partner, and Bucky died. Well, what Ed Brubaker said was, well, what if Bucky didn't die? What if Bucky landed in the water and it was fished out by Hydra agents and actually took him and they put him into service? So he came up with this whole idea of this this mysterious soldier who showed up and was you know tearing up the towns that had been around for a long time, but always in, in secret. And then now this new one was menacing Captain America, and then Captain America f- comes to find out it's actually his former best friend and partner. Bucky Barnes. Uh, it was it was a huge arc that played out over the and, and it captured everyone's imagination. So sometimes people, the uh, comic writers, will go for the big swing, like something amazing, like you're going to love this, and the the comic book audience will say, no, no, we don't. Uh, but this was actually uh, embraced by everyone. It was extremely well executed. Had some really great artists. He had a, a couple artists that he went through on that, and uh, and it was sort of become. Sometimes they, they'll even uh, write things out of continuity because uh, they go bad. But this one is something that everyone universally embraced and said, yes, we're happy. To have Bucky back and we're happy to have him as this new moody dark-haired robot arm you know version of himself so Ed Brubaker's was the a direct influence on him now the storyline with with Project Insight and all stuff was was sort of that was more comic book creation that were like the that, that was not from the comic books I should say that was more from from the movie side so it was like playing the captain the Winter Soldier storyline along with this new idea they had of Hydra infiltrating and, and all those things. So I that. But remember that name Ed Brubaker because that's going to come up in our discussions a little bit later. So we get to the movie now. So we find Captain America. Uh, this is the last time we've seen him was in Avengers. So this is sort of where he's been all this time. Uh, as a I have two points to bud in with. Oh, okay. Yes, please in butt. Uh, First, going back to the comic book version, a lot of the characters in the movie who are not necessarily side characters or forgotten have much larger parts in uh, discovering that the Winter Soldier is Bucky Barnes, Sharon Carter in particular. Yes, absolutely true. And then going back to the first movie, Captain America, the first Avenger, uh, the most common fandom point, or at least the uh, Sebastian Stan fandom point, is uh, when you see Captain America, the first Avenger, and there's that first scene with Bucky, everyone says, remember when you first saw him and you just didn't know? (laughs) (laughs) And I always think that's so funny because the three movies do great jobs of mirroring each other in what scenes will become super poignant later. And so I think it's funny that fandom has caught on to that and uses that kind of as the jumping point. That's very true. It's interesting that a movie like this, that's a a direct sequel to, I mean, obviously Avengers happen. They don't discount the stuff that happened in there um, because that's, that's when Captain America first was sort of back and doing things. But the, none of the people who were sort of making this aside from like the production side had anything to do with the first, the Captain America, the first Avenger. But there are direct references to a lot of stuff on there and, and scenes that play out. And even like a, a one of the, the one flashback scene where you go back that, that was not part of the original movie, but looks like it fits right in. We get to see tiny Steve again. But yeah, it's, it's, it was very, very respectful of the, of the sequ- of the prequel. <laughs> if you want to say it that way of the first one. Or when the, uh, when Bucky drives, small Steve and two girls out to the science fair 
And Steve says, where are we going? And Bucky says, the future. <laughs> That's right. And they both ended up in the future. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting that the Captain America movies are also the Winter Soldier. Yeah. Like, I mean, they, they're, they're both, they're telling the origin stories almost at the same time. We don't get to see a lot of the the training montage, like by the time Bucky reappears, he's already fully trained and has all these abilities and, and, and superpowers and things, but it's the same kind of thing. And then, and then his, it's sort of like almost staggered a little bit because his awakening and his stuff does not come until a future film. Like this is just him almost coming out of the ice, Correct. almost literally at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, the, the name, oh, by the way, I did not know this. This is actually something in my research I discovered where the term the Winter Soldier comes from. It's a quote from Thomas Paine. Uh, the quote the, in, in its entirety is, these are the times that try men's souls. We don't all know that part. The summer soldier and the summer sunshine patriot will, in this crisis, shrink from the service of their country. But he, the Winter Soldier, that stands by it now deserves the love and thanks of man and woman. Oh. I did not know that. That was, that was where it came from. I thought it was just, he just put two words together, but go ahead, Brubaker, you know, his Thomas Paine. Found historical uh, significance. Exactly. So, all right, so let's get into the movie. Um, so we, we meet Captain America now living in D.C. Uh, on his daily run, and we're introduced to one of my favorite characters in the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe, Sam Wilson, who, who we'll learn to know as the Falcon. I love this character. I love this portrayal of him. He, in the comic books, he tends to be very uh, stereotypical. Like, uh, he, I think, like like a lot of the characters that came up in the 70s, early 80s, he had his jive-talking stage, which they have, they've gone past now, and actually, at current comics, or uh, he just has, has ended. Uh, he actually was Captain America for a while, too, when, when the, the, the shield was sort of handed down. And so I've not really been a fan of his in the comics. He was just always there. Uh, but I, the portrayal in this, I think, is just great he's like from the minute you meet him he's already interesting to watch and funny but also very you can tell he's a serious soldier very dry wit um but very different from war machine uh the sort of because uh, he's sort of playing the same role as the friend of the hero you know the the titular character well one of two in this that's actually a huge thing i want to wanted to talk about sure i thought it was so interesting how um in a typical movie the roles of Black Widow and Falcon almost flip-flopped the usual path those types of characters take. The way Falcon and Captain America meet is a very much a meet-cute in romance novel uh, or romance romantic comedy terminology. And the way that Sam is able to connect with Steve is, you know, some very personal and uh, vulnerable stuff. I think one of the reasons why Captain America like Sam off the bat is because when, you know, he tells him to listen to trouble man and Steve opens up that book and it's all this super mainstream stuff that (laughs) you couldn't avoid not seeing star Wars if you tried, you know, so all these people are giving him just these total mainstream kind of anyone will like this stuff. And here's Sam offering something that you'd have to look for. You assume there's something personal behind it. It just was a very genuine moment. And then moments later, you see Black Widow roll up and she's in the awesome car and she has the snarky line. And she's like, I'm taking you away from this cute little moment because we got to go to work and be badasses. And I just thought that was so interesting how in most movies that would those two characters would be doing the exact opposite. Yeah, that's true. I hadn't really thought about that, but you're absolutely right. Yeah, even even when he, because the nice thing about Sam is he can relate to him on that level as a soldier. When he, you're right about the the trouble man thing is a, is a great point, but also I hadn't even thought about it being the obscure right. and the and 
and the, the very specific thing. That's a, that's an excellent point. But even like when talking about sleeping on the beds, saying like, oh, this is what here's what right. your problem is. Like he's this here's a guy who'd been in combat recently and had come back and now is counseling other soldiers. And so he like kind of like he can see in Steve like, oh, you're same thing. You're just back from combat. You're going through the same kind of stuff. Here's here's one thing that here's the, the, what the problem is. And it was like, and the two of them couldn't that had that click moment. It's almost the meat cute yeah. <laughs> beyond the, on your left thing, which is another yeah. great recurring gag is that like they, they click and that like, Oh, Hey, like we, we speak right. the same language. Sam gives a lot of emotional labor too, which is normally a, a female job in a, a story such as this too. So, you know, I, I just think it's great that Marvel throughout all their movies, you know, Iron Man and, and Bruce Banner, and lots of different circumstances, they do a really good job at showing male friendship. And I'm not saying that from like a slash point of view or a fangirl point of view. I just think they do a really good job of establishing bonds where you can believably know why they fall off buildings for each other. Yeah, that's very true. Because even as colleagues, you can see how he relates to, by the end of the movie, I'm jumping ahead, but how he relates to Natasha and how he relates to Sam are right. very different. Like, But they're two very different right. friendships. But they're still just yeah, friendships. Yeah, they're friendships. And I, I think that does Miles kind of round out characters in a way that DC movies haven't quite caught up to. Like, I'm not... A DC yeah. movie basher, I think I like them more than most people do, but... I've done my fair yeah. share of bashing on this, don't worry. You, know, <laughs> you won't find me doing a lot of defending know, I, of them. I know I'll get roasted for this, but I think Ben Affleck is a great Batman. I, I have no, no case against the movies, but I think Marvel just does a really good job of showing the humanity behind not only the cape, but behind the ego that would make someone become a That's super- what we talked about yeah, that's very in true. the Captain America the first Avenger movie, that that's one of the reasons that that origin story played out so well is that you really get to know Steve. And that goes right into this too. You're learning more about Steve. And to go back to Lori's point about Sam's character, that character of Sam Wilson taking on the female role, it's sort of interesting too, when you think that his role, then he becomes, he is I don't want to say blindly loyal, but anytime anybody asks him, he's like, oh, I do what he does. I follow him. And that's, mm-hmm. again, tends to be the, the female role, the female expectation that the, that the female is mm-hmm. just going to follow along. Mm-hmm. And yet, I think you're absolutely right in that it really comes across as a solid friendship. And they really value each other. And it, and again, it, it mirrors uh, the first movie where, you know, Steve and Bucky are saying, I'm with you till the end of the line. Or I'm, I'm not following the shield, I'm following that kid from Brooklyn. Or, you know, I mean, it, it's also very thematic throughout the whole story. So, I mean, I think that also allows us, the audience, to see why Sam could so quickly become important. And I Steve. think that it goes right along sort of with the, just the, the feeling behind these movies and why you care about these characters. And I think you're right in that Marvel really, it, it pulls you in right from the beginning. Like Kyle said, you like Sam from the very first, but the first time Captain America runs past him, or that maybe the second time, you care already. <laughs> you know, Marvel really does a good job that way of sort of pulling you in, sucking you in, and getting you attached. Very quickly. Yeah, because yeah, we had to sort of pick up, We this coming off of uh, the Avengers, you know, we're sort of expecting a certain level of thing, but it's also an individual movie, so we've just seen Iron Man 3, so it's like... What's it? What is this going to be? What is a Captain America movie where he's not 
in World War II. What is that going to be? Uh, and they answer it with a 70s conspiracy yeah. thriller. Like, <laughs> this is one of the, the movies that I, I would say, I would put this movie outside of the MCU up against any action movie up there. I mean, anything like that James Bond has done the last 10 years, any, like, you know, completely divested from the whole comic book thing, it's just a great movie, which is kind of amazing that a sequel, uh, even, this is like the third time we've seen this character, that they came up with something and they went so far beyond what even our expectations are. I mean, like, if you look at the Iron Man trilogy versus the Captain America trilogy, and there's no comparison. Like, <laughs> it's so far beyond. I, and I don't know what that is because it, it, like we, we, in a lot of the time in the podcast, I always talk about alchemy. I know people are, it's the drinking game. I talk about the alchemy of it. But there's, on paper, there's no reason this movie should work this well. <laughs> because... You have the couple guys who are, they have the Russo brothers, are not seasoned veterans. They had done mostly television. Their two feature films were Welcome to Collinwood and You, Me, and Dupree. That's it. <laughs> That's not a heck of a resume. Not a great resume that, that Marvel would look at. And now, obviously, they've done fantastic work in television. They're, they're one of the main people behind Arrested Development. They did a ton of those. And then they did a ton of stuff on Community. And they say that the number, the, the major piece of the resume that got them this job where they did the, the Western-themed paintball episodes of Community. It's a great episode. Yeah, it's a two-parter, a fistful of paintballs and a few paintballs more. Those, so if you have, if you're, haven't seen uh, Community before, you can watch those just as, a, as an example. And, and just to show that they made sort of like an action movie Western comedy thing. But it's, it's a, it just those two episodes together are, are a great piece of uh, television. But So they're handed this $100 million, even maybe even more, Marvel sequel when Marvel is running at its peak. Just like, okay, guys, go for it. And not only did it turn out to be yeah, they turned out pretty good at it. They became two of the architects of the entire Marvel universe from this point forward. They are the ones doing what we're leading up to the, the Avengers Infinity War, and they are, you know, one of the the two people responsible, like behind the scenes, of making sure everything sort of fits. And who'd have thought? Just like these two guys who had, you know, told Buster Bluth what to do would end up running around and telling Captain America what to do. I mean, it's it's amazing. I think we're together. And then the, the, the two of the screenwriters that are doing this are, are the same kind of thing. They, they have gone on to do that. They were two of the guys responsible for Thor The Dark World, which if you listen to the podcast, you know we were not big fans of. <laughs> but once again, they, they somehow all together made this up. They, they made a great conspiracy thriller, a great action movie, and a great character piece for Captain America and introduced the Winter Soldier, another – became a huge, huge fan favorite. And Sam. And, and, and right, and Sam Wilson. This is the first time Sam Wilson goes up. And Agent 13 to a lesser degree. Like, she's had a lot to do, so. Um, but Crossbones. Yeah, and, 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 and of course, in their starting out thing, it's not just they can do like they did with Iron Man 3 where they're just going to like, okay, we'll take the character out of there, fish out of water, we'll take him out of there and put him somewhere else and then play with him on there and then sort of put him back on the table now we're going to rewrite the entire marvel universe <laughs> turns out that <laughs> like everything is a lie like uh, people that you know are not who they say they were we're just gonna and then uh i because uh denise does not watch uh agents of shield uh so she asked me today she's like wait a minute 
Agents of Shield was still on this. How did they do with that? And I was like, oh man, <laughs> and I, like they basically sat down with the producers and went, okay, guys, uh, in the middle of your season, this is uh, this is coming out, or towards the end of your season, this is coming out, and it's going to destroy your entire show. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and actually, to, to their credit, though, I mean, uh, we're we're focusing on the movies at this point, but Agents of Shield handled it with aplomb. I would say, I think that started out as sort of a great arc for them of having to deal with ramifications of this, where the movie just sort of like blows up a bunch of stuff and then moves on. Well, Agents of Shield. They had to live with the consequences of all these actions. They did a pretty good job of it. But it's that's that Marvel interconnectedness. Um, also, I think the movie is one of those rare movies that gets better on rewatching. I just rewatched it this morning to kind of reacquaint myself with some favorite scenes. And when the movie opens and they're on the Lumerian Star, you see some of the captives. And, you know, at your first watch, you're like extra captives. Okay. Later on, many of those faces reappear, like uh, when they are searching for Cap and Black Widow in the mall. Um, so it, it's, and you see uh, people just tooling around uh, the offices and stuff. So you you see just how deep Hydra had been in every little corner of that office, which also leads to my favorite pet theory that uh, Christian from statistics and Lillian in accounting. <laughs> Where uh, there was something up with them, and Black Widow was trying to use Cap to get information about. Them. <laughs> <laughs> so I decided that Lillian with the lip ring and Kristen from statistics were Hydra agents. Yes. <laughs> you know what? Head canon accepted. I think that you know, and in a movie like this with all these moving parts and these all these conspiracy theories, yeah. That, that could absolutely be the case, especially with Natasha, as we see that she's always working another angle. You never quite know what she knows and what she's pretending and yeah. uh, what's a lie and what's a half lie. I just really appreciate the commitment that Marvel took to all of this. You know, you to go back to what you said, Kyle, about the alchemy, you know, we always sort of talk too about the lightning in the bottle, like when all the pieces just connect. Mm-hmm. Marvel's done it. 17 times (laughs) it just doesn't seem possible does it even movies that we say yeah they're okay are still tons better than other movies yeah Yeah. like even even we we rag on dark world a lot like throw the dark world but i'll watch throw the dark world a heck of a lot more than i'm gonna watch suicide well right and they like you were saying about the television show you know like they created this this pathway and they were all in like if this kills your tv show sorry (laughs) (laughs) we don't want that but if that's what happens oh well like we're in this and you have to admire that sort of commitment and and that sort of planning i mean you were saying to me and obviously again jumping ahead but that the guy who resists launching and says he won't do it you said appears Mm -hmm. later you know like the the effort that they put into putting all of this stuff together in multiple movies and across universes and storylines really is amazing that they were able to do some of the stuff that they were able to do bringing people back like that's one of their their, the strengths is they can bring people back so they bring back jasper sitwell and they make him the hydra agent because oh my god we've seen that guy in multiple things and so you can go oh it's the same guy and same thing with bringing back gary shandling as the senator who was there in iron man 2 you know it's like it's as opposed to creating a whole new person you bring that person back and that has such a bigger impact when you find out that they're actually secretly a hydra agent so what denise is referring to is in the scene with what the man will know as crossbones uh, Rumlow, he's you know holding a gun to the the technician's head 
uh, and you know, saying like, you know, launch the, the or start the countdown or whatever it is, and the guy is saying, no, I'm, I can't. I, Captain's orders. You're like he does that in Avengers: Age of Ultron. He is on the helicarrier when uh, at the end when they're picking up the people of Sokovia. Like, so he not only did he, he live through all of that stuff, but then he's still working for Shield and still trying to help out. Marvel is really good at doing that on just a whole bunch of levels too. Um, in the uh, beginning of the Causeway fight, when Cap is blown back by the uh, grenade and he lands in that bus. You can see people pulling other people out of the wreckage. You can see people calling 911. You can see people providing um, medical assistance to each other. Going back to the Avengers, um, the police are shooting at the Chintari or however it's pronounced. <laughs> yeah, Chintari. Um, Marvel also does a very good job of letting you think you could be a hero in your own way as well. And also they're very good at having characters be good people just in their mundane lives. Sam is a counselor at the VA or, you know, Bruce Banner does great science for people. Tony Stark stopped selling weapons. I mean, it they, it just shows the power of good, I mm, guess. Yeah. So, it's, yeah, we were talking about the we, – we watched it again, like we started it and then and then finished it this morning too was in, in preparation. And so I was watching it. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go in like as the conspiracy theorist and try and figure out who knew what when. And also, like, I'm going to watch the movie from the Hydra perspective. At what point do decisions get made? Like, uh, you know, when were they going to do different things? And so, like, you know, trying to figure out on the Lemurian Star, like, Nick sent the mercenaries <laughs> – did he actually see so there's a lot of those things we don't really know. A lot of it is conjecture. Like we, later on, they say that Nick hired the Mercs to attack the ship. So that gives them a reason to go onto the ship, to pull the data off, to get the algorithm uh, that they know was going to be on there. Is that true? We don't, we're not really sure. Uh, probably, but there, they, I don't, I don't remember a point where they say, yeah, I actually did that. It was just one of those things where you have to sort of infer, but then you get to see cap not only like tearing through all those soldiers and work and working with his team, who will end up being Hydra agents, but also fighting Batroc. Now, Batroc is uh, is the leader of the Mercs. Batroc is, uh, in the comic books, is Batroc the Leaper. He is a French mercenary, but he's known for his really strong kicks. <laughs> he's big at jumping around and kicking. He's kind of a running joke. Uh, for some, he he becomes serious sometimes and joke. On the Ultimate Spider-Man cartoon, he was a running joke that he would just keep showing up. Ha ha! I am Batrock the Leaper, and Ultimate Spider-Man have to go. Oh, this guy again. He in Brubaker's run, he made him like a serious threat and things too. But there's been various times where he's just like literally has the curly black mustache and the all of his you know all his dialogue is this is the end, Captain America. But in this, he's a you know played by a former MMA champion, uh, and he's a, a pretty serious threat. Uh, even though in a series of escalating threats, you get to see Captain America really hold his own. Then the, this is this is kicks off our our conspiracy. So we see Natasha pursuing her own agenda, uh, or or at least uh, working with Nick, like to run her own mission while Captain is running his. And yeah, and starts the, the uh, layers upon layers in the conspiracy and the who do you trust. You know, feeling for the rest of the movie. Well, and I think that also kind of sets an emotional expectation for the rest of the movie. Widow had her side mission to get some data off of the ship, and it's no coincidence that Rumlow and Rollins and a bunch of other Hydra agents were the backup slash cleanup crew on that particular mission, and also. They were doing stuff that seemed a little odd on a second or third rewatch, um, mm -hmm. like how they were handling certain uh, situations. So I think the fact that Widow had a side mission was also setting up space in your 
receiving the story brain to realize other people had other side missions on that thing too. Yeah, very true. Yeah, like because everyone had a different sort of agenda on that one. Like the, <laughs> the only, Captain America and Batrock were the only ones who had like straight missions. <laughs> here, I'm here to accomplish this specific goal. Everyone else was pursuing multiple things at the same time. Right, and then you know, which also plays on you could sort of say you know the whole Captain America man out of time not used to our wily 21st century ways. You know, he yeah. was the only one going in with the one pure mission. That's right. They go and kill Nazis. And now everything's a lot more complicated. Kyle just made a really a point when we were watching to sort of remind me that Captain America is not a spy. He's not in the espionage world. That's not his training or his forte. Besides the fact that he's from... Terrible liar. 19- yeah. Yeah. He's a horrible liar. Not just the fact that he's from 1945 and doesn't have the, you know, understand our world, but just the fact that that's not where his training was. I mean, he is a straightforward soldier because that was one of the things that I said to Kyle that I like about Captain America. You know, he knows how to use guns and use the grenades and he will kill people if you make him. Uh, It's not that he's out there just trying to do that. But I like that you sort of acknowledge the training, which brings me to is should it really have been a, f- a contest between him and the is it Batrock? Batrock should there yeah. really have been a competition there or should Steve have really been able to just take him down? I, I mean, I don't know. I think it's it's also uh, there are certain genre conceits you have to, and this is if even if, if you talk in video gaming, uh, Batrock is a mid boss. Right. He's not the the main, but like you know, you're 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 working your way up the the chain or whatever. So it's nice to see Cap doing more than just taking out a bunch of dudes. Like this is like okay, this guy's a serious threat. So then it it takes a Captain America to do that. But at the same at the same point, one of the things I really enjoyed. Uh, on that mission was also seeing Natasha in her environment. Yeah. When we've seen her, besides the beginning of Cap- uh, Avengers, where where she's um, you know being tortured, but it turns out she's actually interrogating the guys. So they just don't know it. That's we see that little glimpse and everything. Uh, she's she is fish out of water. The rest of the movie, I, it, it annoys me to no end that they're fighting aliens and she has a pistol. Like <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't give her any like a space gun. And even when she gets there and she throws it down, it just drives me crazy. <laughs> that's a whole other podcast, Kyle. <laughs> that's a whole other thing yeah i know that's of the many many things i did not get to discuss in the avengers i'm still holding it grudgingly that should have been a three-hour episode there's so many things i wanted to talk about um i'll just work them in but but in this we get to see her like doing what she does best we get to see like you know flipping through the entire things taking out guys hacking devices i mean like this is prime natasha stuff here like this is this is where she lives she hooks that thing around his the guy's neck and then uses that to rappel down, then yeah. pulls the guy over, rides his body to the bottom, and uses him as a shield to then shoot the other guys. Yes. I mean, it doesn't get much better. Aaron Sorkin would say, this is where she eats lunch. Yeah. yeah. And not only that, but it's that wonderful mixture of Camille, perhaps, mm-hmm. complete and total badass, but also completely within the realm of possibilities. Yes. Doing really incredible stuff, but it's with simple equipment and it's simple ideas and it's things you can believably see a 110 pound woman doing. It's very cool. Yeah. See, and that takes, to me, that takes you back to the casting piece, too. You know, we keep talking about the casting. There mm-hmm. are people who you wouldn't buy it from, but yes. you buy it. Scarlet makes it believable. And now some of it is the writing and the stunt stuff, but you believe it. We've talked about that before. You know, like, why is it that Angelina Jolie, when she punches in a movie, you believe that she can take down that dude? But mm-hmm. yet there are other women 
maybe bigger, broader, more than, you know, a hundred pounds soaking wet, that you don't believe it. And, and Scarlett just, she makes this such her own and it is so believable. You do believe it. Lori's absolutely right. You don't question it at all. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, we, Chris Evans is amazing. Like he is a not a fantastic athlete, uh, you know, a great actor. But and he looks it though. You mean like you know, there's a couple of beefcake shots in this movie. Uh, no one's complaining about that. Uh, but those shoulders, I mean, Jesus. But you know, you you look at him and he like he swings a punch. Yeah, okay. Like I, I buy it. But like you said, Scarlet is very feminine. She is not the sort of like the what you see in like your MMA fighter, like a, a very lean, hard woman. Like she is still very feminine and yet she looks convincing and he said like when she is wrapping her legs around the guy and flips around the ground and hits in the ground you're like yeah he's out you're not like oh that was really nice the stunt piece that they did that they edited together like you're like okay yeah I can she see also that. handles the emotional part of being the black widow incredibly well you know yeah. when so that you do that whole scene that we described she comes down to the bottom she does what she's got to do captain america says nat where are you She's like, give me a minute. She takes the two guys out and she says, okay, engine room is secure. And she turns and the guy sits up and she takes that pipe wham, <laughs> without blink, without pause, without, yeah. you know, she, the, the coldness that has been trained sort of into her. Scarlet also handles believably. You don't think that she's going to go and now cry in a corner because she had to kill people. Right. Yeah, and it's also the the non-spoken superpower that I always like, which is the situational awareness. She knew that guy was awake, and she knew she would have to do it. Like she'd already sort of you know put it on her to-do list. All right, I'm going to come in now, but oh, that guy still got to knock him out. It wasn't like a surprise, and she reacted to it. It was like no, it was all part of the the plan. And Captain America has that too. We see uh, later on when we'll talk about the elevator fight. One of the best things about that is like, after the end of it, he opens the door. There's a bunch of troops there, and and like within a second, he reaches over and cuts the cables with the. Oh with the yeah, shield. he doesn't even. It's just, just like, oh, yeah, he just yeah, he didn't hesitate. He just, like, instantly knows. It's just that he already had that sense of stuff around him that he could just react to that. That's, what, like, one of those really cool superhero things where, like, it's not, you don't have that, what am I going to do now? It's like they already have it. They already saw it. They already noted it, filed it away for later, and then, like, oh, yeah. I need well, to see, do and that. I think that that's part of it, too, is that Marvel allows these people to be smart, to be trained. To have lived through it once already. Yeah. To have the mm. experience. You know, like when you talk about that elevator thing, he's, they show you, but he's standing in the middle of all this and he's picking up the cues. He's picking up the clues. He, he's figuring out what's going on and you're allowed to see that he is smart. He is seeing it and he understands what it means. And I just think that sometimes, you know, in movies, especially comic book movies, and I use air quotes on that. <laughs> the fact that they're smart, the fact that they're knowledgeable, experienced, we can't show that. Don't show that. And I just think that Marvel, again, has shown that these are real people inside these costumes or behind that mask. Right. So, yeah. So speaking of real people, then let's let's talk about sort of our main villain of this, too. So we, we get back to the Triskelion uh, and... They Nick tries to after his conversation with Captain about compartmentalization and not trusting anybody and losing his eye. They Nick can't get in, can't crack this uh, this encryption. So he has to go up and see uh, one of his former colleagues, who's a suit essentially, and that's Robert Redford, who's, uh, which was one of those fascinating choices where it's like, oh, 
wow, that's really cool that you would get like Robert Redford to be in a Marvel movie. That I mean, you know, he's he doesn't need to work. Like he's got, you know, he's got plenty of money. He's got plenty of stuff to do that they actually got him sort of not exactly out of retirement, but at least to do the highest profile movie he'd done in a long, long time. I think the the two movies that, that most come to mind for this, I think, are Sneakers, which he did. And actually the the picture they show of him like from nineteen ninety two, like the archive was actually a a still from Sneakers. <laughs> Uh, and Three Days of the Condor, which he did in the 70s, which was another conspiracy thriller. He was a, a secret agent of some sort, but I can't remember if it was CIA or FBI, but he was like a like a code breaker. They, all these people lived in this house together and like they, uh, their, his whole group, and so they were like cracking codes and, and spy stuff. He gets sent out to get dinner for them, comes back, and all of them have been killed. And so he's now on the run. It's a, it's a great, really, uh, 70s thriller. And I think you can see a lot of the, that the Russo brothers had seen that and took a lot of the same elements. So it's having that familiar face there kind of tied it back to that too. But so he's just a guy. So he's, I mean, he's just a, no superpowers, no secret identity, no super suit he puts on at the end. He's just a connected guy with a belief in the power of Hydra. I think it's funny when you watch it a second time to listen to all of his speeches from that Hydra standpoint. And it's, he really isn't lying. He believes all that stuff. He just believes it from the Hydra standpoint point of view so he doesn't mm-hmm. that's a huge part of my notes here <laughs> go Lori, hit it back when uh, kyle was talking about how we don't really know what exactly is the truth like did fury hire that uh pirate to invade the ship pierce tells the truth almost throughout the entire movie um the only person he lies to really is the winter soldier and that's the one who is least likely to <laughs> <laughs> that's right <laughs> Pierce you know he takes a play out of a poet and tells the truth but tells it slant when you first see the movie um mm-hmm. you know you think he's just this witty snarky dude but you watch it a second or third time and you realize just how condescending but you're he right is. honest I believe him when he said that Fury hired those people it's a good point Lori because you're right he doesn't lie mm-hmm. about much he pretty much just tells it like it is you just don't realize mm-hmm. what's behind what he's saying Right. And he also, as you see captains start doubting him um, during their conversation um, a little bit later on, he starts telling the truth more and more. It's just, again, slanted. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I thought that was really interesting because that was when I first saw the movie, I really wasn't into it. Um, I felt like a lot of the dialogue was super cliched. I was saying stuff along with the characters just because I knew what the next line would be. Mm-hmm. And then after yeah. the movie, it was, oh, man, he's saying what I want to hear so that I don't question right. what he says. And so that that's when I went, my God, this is brilliant. Right. <laughs> Because yeah, that conversation he has with Nick, where they, they talk about the stuff, as Nick walks out, I sort of pause the movie and I'm like, that's the moment he decided to kill him. Like right there is when he's like, okay, well now Nick is too close. He, he's too close to figuring this stuff out. Now he's got to die. So it's like, what you don't see is then he walks over to the phone and calls up the guys and be like, all right, Operation Takeout Fury yeah. is, is, is a go. Yeah, it's just a wonderful run of scenes. Um, again, it sort of plays on your expectations when – Fury is kind of being snarky at the cops and you're like, I know why that's happening and gay theory. And then like two minutes all of a sudden, you're like, Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The thing I like about this is that uh, we'll talk about, I know we're, we're leading up to the elevator thing, but like, it's a good plan. You know, that's, that's what I like about this. It's not just, let's just send, let's just send a guy. Let's yeah. just send somebody to do it. Like yeah. they know 
how much of a threat Nick is. So it's like, let's throw everything at him. It's like 10 cop cars. It's SWAT team. I mean, it's like, obviously, they're all Hydra agents dressed as these things. But, you know, they... They're trying, like, there's there's probably, like, 40 guys heavily armed coming after him. Like, they were not playing around. This is, like, to show the, the and, and it also helps storyline. It helps show how awesome Nick is. Right. Uh, that yeah. he gets away <laughs> from all You're of that. Super right. But, but in, in, in not, and not like a, a, like, you know, brush my dust off me, one scratch on my forehead kind of way. You know, he really gets... It's really messed up because this was another way where telling the truth sort of misdirected you when um, Fury's car is speaking to him mm-hmm. uh, when he's trying to get away. And, um, you know, it says, oh, this bridge is blocked. First time you watch it, you're like, oh, OK, it's, you know, D.C. Of course, they have traffic issues. But watching it a second or third time, you're like, you know, did they purposely block off that route so that he yeah. funneled towards the Winter Soldier? Yeah, or, or send bad GPS information to it to make it, you know, send like... Exactly. And then, like, when they say this way is clear, so that's the way he goes, the Winter Soldier See, is that's what there. I said today when yeah. we watched it. And I didn't think of any of those things. That's what I said. Like, how well, did they yeah, well, put the Winter well, Soldier on right. this one open street? I never took it the step farther. No, actually, that that's a good point. I hadn't thought of it. My thing was that probably he was just like, when they... He was the reserve, so when the main force didn't work, you know, he was watching from the rooftops or whatever and, like, you know, figured out which way Nick was going to go and was there. But, yeah, having it, you know, reroute and it sort actually of makes a lot more sense. And what goes on in these movies. Yeah. And, and the outfit he is wearing there does not get enough love. Everyone talks about <laughs> the main outfit, but that outfit was a good casting choice. But what a great introduction to that character, though, too. Like, yeah. it's... We're half an hour into the movie, I think, at this point. Yeah. And it's that the, you think Nick is in the clear, and then like you're looking through the cracked windshield, and they do that focus shift, right. and you see just this figure. And they cut to him, and he's got the, the gun with the explosive on it, and it shoots down, and then the, the car flips over, and he just sidesteps it. I mean, like it's like instantly you're like, who is this guy? <laughs> in the way he sidesteps yeah. it. Like, Don't want to get anything on me. <laughs> Yeah, it's just so like, it's kind of what you said about Natasha. It's just that cold calculated, this is what I do next. Yeah. And he, and, and, and also he doesn't run. Right. That's the only other thing Winter Soldier. Like, yeah. He's very specific and very methodical in what he does. Like he's not one of those guys that's chasing you down. Right. He'll just be there. You know, I had not noticed that, but you're right. And it does add to sort of the mystique of him. And you say that right now and I go, ooh. Because you're right. Even when we go back to that bridge <laughs> and he's going after Natasha, yeah. doesn't run. Not once. And, yeah. and yet he comes up and yeah. he figures out sort of, well, I mean, she tricks him a little bit, but figures out where she is. I mean, all of that kind of stuff. But he doesn't run once. It's really very a very good point. And, and she does that yeah. too. I mean, she tracks him oh, by I his love shadow. that. So smart. See, they're allowed to yes. be smart and have oh, experience. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, yeah, this is the problem. This movie is so awesome. We can talk about all this kind of stuff. So, okay, let's jump to the next fight scene. Then. <laughs> so, on the run, they find Zola, which is a great scene. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. Uh, I love Back the fact up. they brought, Back they up. found a way. Artem Zola. You cannot the, skip. What? what did we miss? Cap on the motorcycle taking out the Q jab. I mean, oh, yes. Or the elevator. You got to back it up. Yeah, that's true. Oh, the elevator. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Okay. We can okay. talk about uh, it a little I'm bit. I was looking at the time thinking, like, <laughs> like we're going to talk about this for like three hours. <laughs> we got to pick and choose. Oh, God, I love this movie I'm so much. I'm sorry. There's just, 
There's so many great things. Peggy, Wait. that's you talking about Peggy. <laughs> <laughs> you cannot beat, come on, him on the motorcycle. It's awesome. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. All right. So, all right. Or so, the whole Fury getting shot I know. scene. You know, during that. Right. Yeah. So the Fury gets away, but then, <laughs> but then, no, so the cat figures it figure, And then, yeah, that's right. The, the, the first meeting, and then, and then Bucky catches the shield. I mean, it's a. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is the Winter Soldier, I should say, at this point. Catches the shield. Hey, now, wait a minute. Back up. Okay. So Nick is in Cap's ha- apartment. He's yes. already been beaten up to yes. a pretty severe level. He yeah. knows that S.H.I.E.L.D. has been compromised. He knows that people are listening. He knows that this is a huge problem. So going back to your conspiracy theory, I put to you, how and when did he put into place dying? The, one of the thoughts that I had when he gets shot, and it happens to be now by the Winter Soldier, but my, one of my first thoughts was is that, that it could have been Maria Hill. Mm-hmm. That this was sort of the plan between the two of them. You're going to shoot me. It's going to bad. They're going to have to take me. And then we can do this. I'm officially dead thing. Because otherwise, I struggled with the how does Maria know? Like we talked about today. Like, do the doctors know? Do they? So that was one of the first things that when I saw the first the movie the first time. Then, of course, you know, Steve runs and it's it's the Winter Soldier and, you know, the whole bit. But to put that back around... How does all that work? How does Maria know that this is the plan? How do how does all that happen? If you notice the doctor who is operating on Nick and then ultimately causes death is a one of the Russos and uh-huh. he is also the one who is um helping uh Natasha after she's been shot and they're meeting with Nick in that uh secret hideout. So yep. you think that he was somebody that Nick trusted? Yes. Yes. He was the director. Of course, you trust him. And I'm and knowing that a plan of some sort that has was you know created and saved for a time such as well, this. Well, I agree, but you have to also have people where you can implement it. So when he's in the car and he tries to call her back, he can't. Right. So Nick says right. at one point, like, "Get right. me, get me, Maria," and and the car is like, "We, ca- I can't." And so that was sort of where I mean, obviously, there's been time between the car accident and the thing. Maybe something sort of happens there, but probably about three hours because Maria's there, right? So obviously, right. there's no real answer. This is all like you know, fan theory kind of stuff. But I, I, my thing was always, I did not say it was the same doctor. That's a good. I noticed that when he shows up uh, at their hideout, but I didn't know it was the same one in the operating room. Uh, but yeah, I guess yeah. my, my thing would be Deus S Maria Hill. She's, she's there. So then she might've had a chance to, I don't know if he was unconscious or whatever, but either to implement the plan that they had discussed in previously or to say, you know, operation black bag. And she knows exactly what that means. And then slips in the drug or, or, or basically I don't like know. She, she stands there at the window and she seems like she's, she's a spy see, seeing him. Maria. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, anyway, go ahead. Yeah, I know. I know. There's no Chasing Winter Soldier across the rooftops. Who's 
Hey everybody, this is your host Kyle. I'm broadcasting to you from the future. Sorry to break in, but we had so much to say about Captain America the Winter Soldier that we actually had to break the episode up into two parts. So you've just completed part one, uh, and we're going to uh, bring this episode to a close here, and then we're going to uh, have the second episode airing here shortly. Don't worry, we're going to get to everything. I think we're pretty exhaustive in our coverage, but uh, we got a lot of good stuff coming. Uh, so thanks for listening this far. Stay tuned for part two, uh, where we'll, all the rest of the questions will be answered. You've been listening to the Road to Infinity podcast, brought to you by Legible Scrawl. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, or even at our website at www.legiblescrawl.com. We'll see you further on up the road.